Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's a pure delight to be spending the next hour with you talking all things El Camino de Santiago and music. I received so many messages from pilgrims who attended last month's American Pilgrims on the Camino conference at Lake Tahoe in Nevada. I so wished I was there, all those smiling faces. And it took me back to 2020 and the weekend we spent together as COVID loomed on the horizon. Chad Estes, who I spoke with on the podcast earlier this year, and if you haven't listened to Chad's episode, you ought to. He's a hospice chaplain and his insight is amazing. Chad sent me a message simply saying, Hey, Dan, I'm at my first gathering of American pilgrims at Lake Tahoe. I wish you were here. I thought you would enjoy this from our session this morning. And there's a little video. My friend Tom Friesen from Canada on stage leading the pilgrims in song. Somewhere along the way Somewhere along the way, all you find what you're looking for, somewhere along the way. What a wonderful blessing. Thank you all so much. And music is such a big part of the Camino. I remember my friend Janet Leach, again, another previous podcast episode you ought to listen to. Janet told me she loves to enter cathedrals along the way to sing hymns, a cappella. And we've mentioned many times on the podcast the music of Oliver Schroer, the late Canadian musician who recorded himself playing the violin in various churches along the Camino. There are pilgrims with tin whistles and pilgrims with ukuleles and with guitars. Remember my chat with the Irish pilgrim, Anya Baker, who carried a harp from Ireland to Rome via the Camino. I went on my way, God be praised that I met her, be life long or short, sure I'll never forget her. We may have brave men and we'll never have better glory, And then some of the songwriters I've interviewed on the podcast. Remember the Australian pilgrim, Hannah Ackfield. I woke with sweat in my sleeping bag. Started walking when it was dark. When the sun sang to us through the fog. It was just a little spark. And with an old friend I strolled with new companions. From a stalker to and just a few weeks ago, Journeyman. Along the way, along the way, along the way, with my reflections. Along the way, along the way, along the way, the Santiago. Along the way, along the way. I think it was Plato who said music is the medicine of the soul. Plenty of pilgrims would say the same thing about the Camino, the opportunity to disconnect and connect. 
to feel the gentle movement of the earth beneath our feet, walking in rhythm, one step at a time. We're drawn to the Camino for so many different reasons. It might be adventure, it might be rejuvenation, it might be time to think about the next stage of our lives. You might be one of those rare pilgrims who walk in total silence. You might also be the life of the party. You might be someone who discovers a different side to their personality. What a joy to find somewhere to discover someone. Someone to love. Someone to cherish. Someone who returns home with a warmth in their heart and a song in their soul. A song to sing for life. I wonder what prompted Plato to suggest music is the medicine of the soul. We'll never know. But we can certainly agree that at times in our life when we need to salve our soul or celebrate a significant milestone, music will rise in us. Songs take us back, make us cry. We remember slow dancing or maybe even dad dancing. We remember songs our mothers, our fathers, our grandparents sang to us. We remember songs as we drifted off to sleep. And we remember songs that take us where we need to go. My guest this week is an American pilgrim, singer, songwriter, and ethnographer. Dr. Christina Jacobson is on the line from New Mexico in the United States. Welcome, pilgrim. Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you. Before we get to your music and your work, and it's a great story, tell us, Christina, how the Camino came into your life. Mm. So I walked part of the Camino Frances for the first time last summer in July. And I started from Burgos and I walked to Santiago. And um, I was invited to walk the Camino by my partner. And my partner, John, started in Saint-Jean and he invited me to join him in Burgos and to walk the rest of it together. I think I didn't know exactly what I was getting into. And so I was surprised and delighted that it grabbed a hold of me in the way that it did. And it sort of... Um, it's held me in its beautiful clutches ever since. So um, my, my life has become pretty involved in, in many things Camino since then. Did you take a musical instrument with you? I did. I brought um, a bright orange soprano ukulele that I slung <laughs> over my backpack. <laughs> wow. And so were you playing it while you walked? Sometimes depending on how sore my back was. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I had it. Mostly what I did is when we had second breakfast in the morning, I would make sure to take a little 15-minute window once I had had a, another cafe con leche and I was feeling really good. And I would, I would allow myself um, to either play a song or two. That was my rule. I had to play at least a song a day. Um, or um, to start, you know, a, a verse, to write a verse for a new song if it came to me. So sort of to use that as dedicated time while I was walking. And did you find a lot of music on the Camino? Mm. Um, I found some music. I found some music. Um, I met, you know, most of the folks that I encountered were carrying really lightweight instruments. So I, we walked with someone that carried a penny whistle for a while. Mm. Um who else? We did some <laughs> we did some singing with some Spaniards that we walked with for a while, and and so a lot of just like a cappella singing, particularly when we were tired, um, to move us forward. And that like the final hour of the walk each day, we found that singing really helped. 
So yeah, um, and then I I play I ended up playing spontaneously a lot myself for other people, um, playing original songs, playing covers, whatever fit the moment. Yeah, yeah, I like that singing to get through that final hour. That's a great idea. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, that sense of community. We'll 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 walk together and and support and and carry each other. And oh, absolutely. So was Plato right? Is music medicine for the soul? You know, I, I think about this a lot uh, in the songwriting classes that I teach here at the University of New Mexico and the songwriting workshops that I lead in various beautiful rural places around the world. And I, what I always say to songwriters and the folks that I'm working with is that songs do real work in the world if and when we let them and when we're ready to hear it. I have been in rooms and I'm, I'm imagining you probably have been too, where songs can completely change the chemistry of an entire room. Um, and so I, you know, I, I think that they, I think they can do that work. Um, and they, they certainly do for me um, in many, many situations, right? Songs, songs do so many different things for us. They're processing mechanisms. They're things to heal through. There are songs we just write for ourselves. There are songs that we specifically write for a public um, and, and so many things in between. So, so I think there is absolutely um, a grain of truth in there, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I mentioned at the top that you were from New Mexico, you're at the University of New Mexico, and you, you, you work in ethnography. Why don't you tell us what that is exactly? Yeah, sure. So, um, so I'm a singer-songwriter and an ethnographer and an ethnomusicologist too, but ethnography is basically... Um, I. I like to call it deep hanging out. It's where you go and hang out with a given community for an extended period of time and then have the privilege of reflecting on that and writing about it in some form. And so ethnography is cool because it's typically very story-based. And so you're entering people's lives and you're trying to humanize communities that your readers might otherwise know nothing about through storytelling. So you're connecting through story and then, you know, you might add a little bit of theory or some new terms and stuff like that in there that are from anthropology. But but the, the thing that carries it is the stories. And so long story short, about five years ago, so I've been an anthropologist for a long time and I've been a songwriter for a long time. And I decided that it was time for me to start bringing these two different facets of myself and of my life um, into conversation with each other. To, to feel more integrated in the different parts of my life. And so I started thinking a lot about the ways that ethnography and songwriting are super similar. They're both telling stories. Uh, they both depend on specificity and using the senses and showing, not telling, right? So sort of like all the devices that are required to tell a good story are so essential for both of those art forms. So it's, it's dwelling in that space in between those two forms um, is something I find really productive and, and love talking about. Yeah, how fascinating. And we will get to talk about it too, because some of the research you've done is just amazing. But do we actually know, Christina, what, what form it took and where the first music was recorded or, or, or the first song or the first music came from? Oh, gosh. You know, um, I think, honestly, I think it completely depends who you ask. <laughs> right. I remember, I, I think I learned some version in my early music history classes in undergrad 
Um, but but I'm not sure that's the definitive word. So so the answer is I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. the Australian Indigenous culture goes back 60,000 years and, and they sang songs and danced all those years ago. So it's yeah, might, yeah. Could, could well have come from the outback of Australia. Why does mm, you? Yeah. Why does music take us back? When we hear a song, we can picture where and when we used to listen to it. Why do we remember music when we forget faces and places? Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I think it has to do with the senses. I think if something, so you know, sound in this case, but then it's invoking all these other senses in a song too, right? Um, I think that when things are strongly sense based, they suture they suture us to our memories, right? So like that whole idea that some 80s rock song, in my case, comes on and I can picture exactly where I was, (laughs) the day, the moment, exactly what I was feeling, the dress I was wearing, the car I was driving in, right? Like all of it. Um, And I think it's it's a profound capacity of sound and of music, right? To sort of what, what I say to my students is, what's so amazing is that it's almost instantaneous, right? It takes us there in what a fraction of a second. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's, there's no pause, and then, and then we dwell in those spaces. So in a way, depending on the memory, right, and if it's something we cherish or something that's maybe painful, um, it allows us to dwell in those spaces again, um, to reach sort of um, the crevices in our heart. I, I remember going to a phenomenal songwriter show probably six or seven years ago, and the songwriter was incredibly gifted and also a phenomenal performer. And I remember I got out of that show and I was like, I have just felt things in my chest and in my heart that I have literally never felt before. Like it, it allowed me to access like emotions I, I didn't fully know I contained. Um, so it was, <laughs> it was kind of an amazing experience. Yeah. 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 It's, it's exciting sometimes because you can find yourself in a situation where a song comes on and you, you, you didn't realize you had that deep connection. And and it will Absolutely. take take you back, and the surprise is like, oh my gosh, I, I'd forgotten all about that. And now you know, here it is. Here it is for me. It was a song called yeah. "Chirpy Chirpy Cheep Cheep," and <laughs> right, this this novelty song, uh, and and and, uh, and the the little radio station, well, the, the radio station from the little town I was from, uh, they used to play it all the time, all the time. And <laughs> so I looked it up. I did my research, and I then worked out that I was probably between five and a half and six and a half when they played it Mm. over and over and over and over and over. So that's a long time Mm. since Mm -hmm. I've heard that song. And Mm -hmm. it's, Mm -hmm. it really took me back. The connection was amazing and it surprised me. It surprised me, but it was a delight to go back as well. It was a delight. Absolutely. What about Pilsner? Absolutely. Yeah. I was just going to add really quickly. So yes. And also to say like, sometimes songs can blindside us, right. In, in maybe the ways that you're, that you're referencing. I, um, I've, I received training in, in using a trauma informed approach, you know, like when you teach uh, artistic practice and things like songwriting. And partly I, I did that and I bring that into my own teaching and, and workshop facilitating because it's like the power and the depth of doing this kind of work can catch us unawares at times. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so it's partly like, 
<laughs> prepping ourselves for what might come up. And, and trauma-informed stuff basically is always about offering choice, right? So like, okay, this is feeling too intense. Here's another way I can go. So to skillfully navigate your own story and how much you want to share and telling us on it, all those kind of things. But it, it reminded me strongly what you're saying. So I just wanted yeah. to mention that. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about your what you make of the connection between slow walking, pilgrimage, and music. Mm. Mm. For me, the connection is about paying attention on purpose and, and about mindfulness. So this idea of slowing down intentionally, right? Um, it allows the floodgates to open and it allows the floodgates of our creativity to open, I think. Um, certainly for myself. So you're noticing in a different kind of way because everything is slowed down. Our senses are turned on and turned up um, in a way that when I'm in my four-wheel drive truck or even on my scooter, which is my, my primary transportation in, in my city here, um, I'm not paying attention in the same way, right? I Things smell different. Uh, things taste different. Um, the sunlight feels a little bit different on my forehead, all of those kind of things. Um, and so I think all of those things that paying attention, um, particularly to the senses, but, but to any kind of detail and specificity, cultural specificity and otherwise, mm. like that feeds so directly into our songwriting. Yeah. 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 That's right. Well, when I wrote the song somewhere along the way, it was, I felt like I was channeling it. Mm. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Such was, yeah. such was my connection with the pilgrimage in a sense, you know? Mm, absolutely. And I think, you know, the songwriter Mary Gaucher and other folks have talked about this as well. But I, I do think I'm a huge believer in daily writing practice um, for all forms of art, but I find it incredibly important for songwriting. And one of the things I think the showing up to the page does, even on the days when it's really hard, right? And it's the last thing we want to do is that then when the songs come, like you're talking about, right? Like it just sort of comes all in one fell swoop. We're, we're ready to receive them, right? We, we, we've been waiting for them. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and then it's like um, kind of like a moment of alchemy, right? Um, and, and we're like the conduit and we're receiving that, that gift, that song. Yeah, but you need to be prepared. Absolutely, and, and attentive, and, and ready to receive it, right? Or or maybe it'll go to someone else. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe it'll go to someone else. That's right, yeah. So tell us about your pilgrimage as a songwriter then, Christina. The When did you start to write and what was it about songwriting that appealed to you? Mm, yeah. Um, let's see. I've been writing for about 15 years. I was living in Chicago at the time. I uh, was taking uh, some time off from a very intensive graduate program, a PhD program at Columbia University in New York, and was profoundly burnt out. And um, songwriting kind of came into my life at just the right time through a class at the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago, which is sort of this iconic Chicago institution that believes that making music is a human right. And, you know, that it's open to everybody, which yeah. is, I think, so important and so profound. And um, so I took a songwriting class with a songwriter named Steve Dawson, and he gave us weekly prompts, and it was kind of exactly what I needed um, to kind of dive off and, and start telling my own stories. And so I learned I had, turns out I had a lot I wanted to say, and I had a lot of, uh, a lot of songs that I wanted to share. 
Um, and yeah, so I've, I've been writing since then and then more and more. So I've, I've lived on and off as a non-native guest on the Navajo Nation for over 20 years. And, um, so that started feeding into my songs a lot. And, and the, basically the theme is that any place I have the privilege to live in for long enough and am able to learn the language, um, and sort of really feel connected to in a profound way, those are the things that have most significantly shown up in my songwriting. So my experiences on Navajo Nation, um, from my first album, Three Roses, uh, was a really, really big part of that. I was running a co-running a ranch uh, at that time on Navajo Nation. And then more recently, living on the Italian island of Sardinia as a Fulbright scholar and writing an album of songs there. And so all those experiences from Sardinia um, fed directly into an album of songs. Um, Every Last Drop is a song that was informed by um, sort of, you know, being in, in Finland in the summertime and the sun never setting and, and the ways that Scandinavians know how to sort of maximize every last drop of sunlight because, you know, you know, there's a cold, dark winter coming up. So you have to savor it <laughs> and, and hang on to it. So, so this idea of sort of uh, intercultural communication through songwriting and sort of trying to capture my, mo- my, my own international and ethnographic moments in song is something that um, that I've done more and more in the last in the last ten years or so. Wow, fantastic! Wow, and it's your life's work, isn't it? Really, it it feels like um, something that feels very, very, very true and dear to my heart. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I I so often hear people say they come to me and say, "Oh, I wish I could play a musical instrument." And for some mm. some of us, like me and you, I'm sure, music is a very, very deep and, and all-encompassing love. I can't imagine life without it. Why mm. why do mm-hmm. some of us why do some of us choose a life of music? Why do we attach ourselves so deeply to this love of music? And, mm. o- and others don't. Man, that's a deep question. Um I I mean, yeah, I'll just, I'll speak for myself here. I think that for me, music and particularly songwriting um, and sharing my own, my original material feels like a way to be seen, fully seen and heard in the world. Um, And that is perhaps the biggest gift that it has given me because that in turn allows me to connect more deeply back to myself and, and also connect more deeply to others. Mm. Um, so yeah. the sort of being and feeling heard, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, feeling, feeling fully heard. Wow. Um, I feel, yeah. That's a great answer. When it, uh, totally, I took you by surprise with a very surprising question. That's a fabulous answer. It's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. I always tell people who say, I wish I could play a musical instrument. I say, what's stopping you? Huh. You can start today. <laughs> if you start... <laughs> Start today, practice every day, you get better every single day. Absolutely. Ten minutes a day works wonders. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah. Let's, it really let's, does. Let's take a break. Let's hear a little bit of the work you do with your group, the Merlettes, and the Fleetwood Mac song, Landslide. i 
reflection in the snow-covered hills till the landslide took me down. Mirror in the sky, what is love? Can the child within my heart rise above? Can I sail through the changing seasons of my life
So that's a stunning version of an amazing song. It's an amazing narrative. You just touched on a couple of things just before we played Landslide. You touched it on Italy. Tell us about your love affair with Italy. <laughs> sure. Um, so I, I lived in, in northern Italy, um, in the Italian Alps, outside of the city called Trento when I was 15 for a semester. Um, I went to an art school. I learned to speak Italian. I was living with an Italian family. Um, and, and so that was like the seed that was planted in me very earlier. It was a very powerful experience. But then I went on to study Navajo and live on the Navajo Nation and took a really different path for the next 20 years or so after my first experience in Italy. And then uh, in 2016, I was uh, on sabbatical for a semester and I was invited to come to Sardinia, Italy um, to present my research for my first book, which is about Diné or Navajo country Western bands that I was singing and touring with uh, on Navajo Nation for a number of years. So to present and also to play a show. And, and so I went to Sardinia in fall of 2016 and I was there for a week. It was one of the most intense weeks of my entire life. And by the second night, I was dreaming in Italian. And I took that as a really important sign that something very, very deep, almost archetypal for me, um, existed and still existed in Italy and particularly in Sardinia. So my love affair began yeah, with Sardinia. Yeah. And then after that, it's been just going back as often as I can. Um, so I went back the following summer uh, and did uh, a tour, a month-long tour of really, really cool like house concerts and all sorts of amazing venues on the sea in, in Sardinia. Um, and then started writing, started co-writing with a number of Sardinian singer-songwriters. And that sort of planted the seed for the next album, House on Swallow Street. And what would it be like to do an entire album of co-writes with Sardinian, not just musicians and songwriters, but poets and uh, shepherds and language activists and really anyone that had a story to tell that, that wanted to hang out with me and was willing to, you know, have me turn it into a song. And so... Um, yeah, so Sardinia um, is a place now that I go to every summer. I bring uh, my university students there on a study abroad. We're leaving in a couple of weeks, in fact. And um, it is a place that brings alive in me an incredible sense of joy and reconnection, uh, specifically to voice and to singing, because Sardinians, as you may know, have a number of traditional genres of music um, that are a cappella singing, canto con curdu and canto a tenore in particular. And they are some of the most exquisite singing styles I've ever heard in my entire life. And so I bring students over who have, some of them have never sung and are not formally trained in music at all. And we sing, we learn to sing in these styles and sing together. Um, and maybe my favorite thing about that whole concept with canto a concordu, which means uh, singing together in particular, is that there's this idea with much of Sardinian vocal music that the quality of the music is directly impacted by the quality of the social relations between the singers. Right. So, you know, if two people aren't getting along, then the music is going to be totally off. So you have to cultivate and maintain your social relations for the music to be exquisite and beautiful, which it almost always is. Fantastic. Wow. That's amazing. And, and you, you, you mentioned a few times there, the Navajo Nation um, yeah. and this enduring love affair with that history, that culture, that engagement. Tell us about that. Yeah, oof, my journey with Navajo Nation. Um, so I went out for the first time when I was 17 um, 
And then I got a job as a working as a ranger with the National Park Service um, in on a park that is on Navajo land. It's a jointly administered uh, park called Canyon Vichy National Monument in Chinle or Chinle, uh, Arizona. And I was already studying Navajo, and so it was a way to sort of deepen and contextualize my knowledge, which I had started learning. I grew up in Western Massachusetts, so about as far from Navajo Nation in the continental U.S. as you can get. Um, and uh, <laughs> I let's see, my first summer working as a park ranger, I was invited to a country western dance at the local community center, and I went in, and there was this Diné and also Anglo band called Aces Wild playing on the stage, and there were probably 300 people with Wrangler jeans and Western boots and Western hats, two-stepping like nobody's business. <laughs> and I was, ab I remember I showed up in like my park ranger issued like hiking boots, which are terrible for two-stepping and, you know, like feeling incredibly out of place and also knowing that this was like a thing that I wanted to understand more deeply. And so um, you know, fast forward a number of years, I went to grad school in ethnomusicology and then later in anthropology. And my dissertation um, ended up being about Diné country western bands. And so I auditioned. I was uh, I learned the lap steel guitar, also at the Old Town School, and then auditioned on lap steel and also singing and was accepted to play with three bands. Um, and then I played with them for about two and a half years on Navajo Nation and got permission to to make that into my dissertation, which became my first book, uh, The Sound of Navajo Country. So, um, yeah, it, it has been an incredible privilege and an incredible journey, uh, the time that I've been able to spend um, on Navajo Nation. I'll also say that that I've played lots of, you know, had lots of different hats there, not just uh, scholarly ones. So I, I taught at a tribal college, and I also was a DJ at a radio station, uh, Navajo language country music format station uh, called KTNN AM 660 in Window Rock. Um, and yeah, so I've worn lots and lots of different hats. Um, but it's always been a touchstone for me in the American Southwest, the, the res and, and yeah, Navajo nation in particular. How fantastic. So you, you just touched on sort of a bit of your history as a live musician. Tell us about life as a performing artist then, Christina. Yeah, sure. Um, so I have, um, my, my own band called the Merlettes where a Merle Haggard inspired feminist honky-tonk band oh. and we're, we're here in Albuquerque we do a mix of like classic country covers a lot of Merle Haggard a lot of Loretta Lynn um Kitty Wells folks like that and then country originals that are written um in that style so a lot of it's dance music two-stepping music um and we have a ton of fun we're um, going to be going to WOMED in South Africa in September and playing a number of shows over there and teaching a bunch of workshops to emerging artists and collaborating with a with a South African bassist, which we're super excited about. Um, and then I have a pretty active uh, life as a, as a solo touring musician. Um, and that's primarily in the summer because I, you know, I have university teaching in the fall and spring semesters. Um, and that's been amazing. So, um, you know, this last year I've, I've played a number of shows in different places, but I played in the Republic of Cyprus, um, played in Sardinia, uh, where else have I played? I played in South Africa. Um, and and I run a monthly songwriter showcase here in in Albuquerque, and I um, I spearhead the songwriting program here at the at the University of, of New Mexico as well. So um, I, I wear a number of different hats in sort of the the songwriting area. One of my newest projects 
Um, this is more of a teaching project, but it's called the Prison Song Project, and it's um, bringing university students. It's a prison arts initiative, bringing university students into our local county jail and um, working on and teaching co-writing to meet currently incarcerated musicians um, over the course of a, an entire semester and then doing a, a final concert in, in the jail um, at the at semester's end. And that's going to be launching in January of 2024. So... That's one of the that's one of the newer projects, yeah. Yeah, wow. I was listening to music preparing for the interview, and I don't think I've ever asked this question before. And I've done thousands of interviews over thirty years. Tell us about yodeling. <laughs> yes, I love that question. I want to I want to talk about yodeling, and <laughs> and I also want to talk about cry breaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. Tell so, us about yodeling first. So- Oh my gosh. So, I mean, to define a yodel, a quick alternation between what we would refer to as our head and our chest voices, right? Where it's constant, it's consistent. You want me to do one really quickly? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. This is like the classic Swiss one, right? Yeah. Uh, like, so you can sort of hear that. <laughs> So good. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so like the fast, that's like the fast alternation. But then, and here's what's so cool. And, and there are lots and thoughts of opinions about this in country music. Um, if you slow that down and you just do a single alternation, right? So let's say I'm going from my chest to my head voice, but I just do it once instead of multiple times. Like I just did in the yodel. That is what we would call a cry break. And that is like an iconic classic sound of particularly older country music um, and doing that artfully and knowing when to do it. It's You're always doing it on a vowel, but the beauty and the incredibleness of it is that the art form is, okay, what word am I going to do it on? And if, if you have to choose, um, you know, it's usually on a word associated with crying or, or a word that has to do with sorrow of which in country music, of course, there's a lot. Um, and so, I, you know, I like to say I teach a class here um, called Country Music and Cultural Politics. And, and usually it's really fun because the class is sort of split between about 50 percent country lovers and 50 percent country haters. And and for the haters, a lot of times it's the cry break. It's the nasality. Um, and it's the sort of heart on your sleeve. You told me way too much, you know, <laughs> crying your beer thing that really turns them off. Yeah. But I am obsessed with cry breaks. And I think when they're done well and they're not overdone and when they're done really cho- – I, I, they like they bring chills up and down my spine. I think they're incredibly beautiful. So, you know, just to give an example, like let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, I'm going to do it on Hank Sr.'s Your Cheating Heart. So oh, like, yeah. Yeah, so like let's see. All right, here's a version on the word cheating. And you'll, you'll hear slides and some other things mm-hmm. too, but I'll just do it a cappella for now. So like – you're cheating, you're cheating hard. So I did one on heart and then cheating. We'll make you weep. You'll cry and cry yourself to sleep. So those are a couple of examples, right? So you're sort of pulsing on it. Um, and, and you're doing it on words that have to do with crying. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is so good. That is so good. <laughs> And and it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you talk about country music, uh, it can be a lot like a pilgrimage in a way. Yeah. 
because mm. because it's it's all about love and redemption, mm. like a yeah. pilgrimage, like a camino. Nice, nice, and and kinship and family and and mama and finding home. Yeah, 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 yeah. Heck yeah, I love that. Well, talk, talking about about home, tell us about New Mexico because I imagine it has an incredible cultural heritage that bubbles to the surface in terms of music and art and food. Even I'm sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and so to clarify, you know, I was raised in New England in Western Mass. Um, and I've been living full-time in New Mexico for about 10 years and then on Navajo Nation, like I said, um, for much longer, but primarily in the Arizona side of, of Navajo Nation. Um, so I'm a guest here and, and just want to say, like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this call from unceded Diné land here in Albuquerque, so unceded Navajo land. Yeah. Um, so just want to acknowledge that. And, um, yeah, the, the mix, the cultural mix in New Mexico is amazing. So we have old, old, multi-generational Hispanic or Hispano families, right, that um, are still connected to the conquistadores that, that came to, from, ex, from primarily from Extremadura in Spain and, and came over here. Then we have 19 New Mexico Pueblos who are um, incredibly rich linguistically and culturally and developed our very sophisticated irrigation acequia system here among many, many, many other things and their own musical traditions. And then you have um, Apache nations also here in New Mexico and then Navajo Nation straddles part of the New Mexico side, um, the northwestern side of New Mexico as well. And, um, and so on Navajo Nation, you know, uh, country music is, is huge. Um, and then what's kind of cool is Navajo Nation on the Arizona side surrounds the Hopi Nation. So it completely surrounds Hopi. Hopi is much smaller. And on Hopi, reggae is huge. So Bob Marley um, allegedly came to Hopi Nation and um, really set the tone for the deep love that many, many Hopi people have uh, for, for reggae. And similarly, uh, legends like Gary Stewart and Johnny Horton uh, came and played at Navajo Nation. But, and, and so that sort of set the tone for country music, but on Navajo Nation, it started much, much earlier. And, and this has a lot of similar ties um, across uh, Aboriginal Australia as well, right? Yeah. So sort of as soon as radio was out there, people were listening to country music. So on Navajo Nation, it was like late 1930, uh, late 1920s, early 1930s. Yeah. Um, that, you know, people were already like playing country and making it their own and all these changing the lyrics, all these incredible, amazing transformations that, that were going to happen yeah. with country music. But, but, you know, back to New Mexico. Yeah. There's, um, this is an amazing cultural mix of indigenous and Anglo and Hispanic and Mexican communities among many, many others. And the food uh, is incredible. So chili is the big thing, red chili and green chili. And well, with such an extraordinarily broad and diverse cultural heritage, where do you generally draw inspiration for your songwriting? Is it is it in the everyday or is it through your research or is it in your heart? Where do you draw inspiration for your songwriting? Mm. Um, the everyday for sure, mm. travel for sure. Um, travel allows me to see things with fresh eyes. Right. Um, it also allows me to see home with fresh eyes when I've been gone for a while and come back. Right. I see things that I just took for granted or, or wasn't noticing anymore. Um, 
and and certainly my my heart too you know i i imagine this might be true for you too as a songwriter like we write songs for different purposes and for different audiences right there's some songs that i write just for me or you know i i did a co-write with a friend last weekend and and the chorus was Basically, the purpose of the chorus was a mantra that we could sing to ourselves when we were feeling, as they say on the res, when you're feeling somehow, when you're, you know, not in a great space, right? Mm. Like a mantra that you can sing to yourself to remind you of like the bigger, more important things. Uh, and then there's those ones maybe that we're crafting to absolute perfection that we hope someone else will sing or cover um, or everything in between, right? Ones that we really, really do want to, to communicate with. But I'd say for me, it's primarily travel and, and the everyday. And then my, my heart space is sort of leading into that. Sometimes it'll be, I have a song. <laughs> um, it's probably my feistiest song. I was thinking of Loretta Lynn when I wrote it and um, it's called, I don't want to smile. And you know, that was inspired by standing in line at a barbecue joint in North Carolina and this total stranger who was standing behind me like just like came right up to me and he was like smile sweetheart and i was like i just started thinking about like the implications of that and i was like man like this person doesn't even know me like how do they have the right to like tell me what expression to wear on my face yeah. you know and then and so the whole song is like me reflecting on like yeah maybe i don't want to smile right now yeah like what, what about that what if i just don't want to smile <laughs> Yeah, good for you. <laughs> or what if I'm sad? Or you know, anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so that, that was kind of like a direct response to a situation. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I I find inspiration everywhere. Somebody will say something, and I think, oh, that's a good line. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially on the Camino, because people are telling their stories and sharing their stories, and they're bringing a little bit of their culture with them to share with you uh -huh. and, and all of those cultures combining and overlapping and, and weaving just a really complex and beautiful uh, carpet, you know, for us all to share. I think it's really lovely. Uh, and, and, uh. and, and you came, you, you wrote a song on the Camino called Buen Camino Peregrino, which we'll play in just a second. But before we play it, why don't you take us back to when you wrote it and tell us about the writing of it and, and, and all about the song. Yeah, sure. I wrote it in segments. I wrote it in a lot of these little 15 minute segments that I, <laughs> that I was sharing with you over, over second breakfast. Um, so, you know, like between 10 and 11 AM in the morning when I was feeling a little bit more awake and a little more, a little more vibrant. Um, and it, you know, I guess for me, maybe the most significant part of the song. So like the chorus, um, starts off, um, uh, you know, will I find it? I don't know. Each person walks their own camino. Uh, la fortaleza más grande el amor. Y buen camino peregrino. There, you know, that switches later in the song. Instead of will I find it, it becomes uh, will it find me? Yeah. And so this sort of surrendering. Right. Like I'm, I'm a very sort of I love structure and I love my plan. And so, you know, as a pilgrim, right, that's profoundly disorienting. <laughs> you, have, you have to give up so much of it. So it was partly me by the end of the song sort of like surrendering to, oh, yeah, I have no I have no stinking idea what's going to happen tomorrow or the day after. And finally, you know, I've arrived at a place where I'm OK with that. And not only that, like, you know, my best days, I can be fully, fully open to it. The, the line, la, um, la, la fortaleza más grande, el amor, the greatest fortress is love, uh, was taken from part of 
um, a phrase that was written at the convent that we stayed at in Fromista. Oh. And um, I just loved it. I was like, heck yeah, that's so beautiful. And um, I don't remember uh, if it's a line from the Bible or if, from, uh, or if it's from something else, but, but it really resonated with me. So that's what became. And then I wanted in the song, you know, like the, the very first morning in Burgos when John and I were departing on, on the first part of my Camino, um, I remember a jogger, this is probably about 6, 6.30 a.m. going the other direction and hearing for the first time someone looking at me in the eye directly and saying, Buen Camino! And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like just the uh, <laughs> the energy and the goodwill yeah. that that gave me. And also, you know, the general respect that is given to peregrinos in Spain and that it's like a legitimate thing and it's worth your time and that you can put it on your CV even, right? Like it's a... Um, I, I, I love that. And so in the song, I wanted to capture like what that felt like to receive that blessing, but also to, to sing it in a way that it would sound like someone was speaking it, right? Like wishing that, wishing yeah. that upon you. Yeah. 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 That's it. That's it. Oh, wow. How exciting. Let's have a listen to the song. Here it is. Buen Camino Peregrino. Pilgrim song. I am a pilgrim seeking ground beneath my feet seeking hearts seeking hands seeking wholeness I am a troubadour seeking song Seeking stories, seeking souls, seeking stillness And will I find it? I don't know Each person walks their own camino La fortaleza más We 
going to be back on the Camino later this year for a really, really exciting project, Christina. Tell us all about it. Yeah. So um, let me rewind a little bit. I We stayed, uh, we had a very, very memorable experience in Trabadelo right before O Febrero. Uh, and we stayed for two days because... Um, I had an injury at an amazing albergue that some of your listeners may know, Casa Susi. And while, besides just falling in love with Casa Susi and with Susi and Fermin and the scene and everything and the food and everything about that albergue, um, while we were there, there was this incredible artistic and musical scene that was going on the evenings that we were there and shared food and, and musicians and songs. Um, in multiple languages and it was so inspiring. And so while I was there, I was like, oh, this is a place that I wanna come back to and I wanna play a concert here. And so that was really, Susie and Fermin and Casa Susie was really sort of the seed for, for me thinking about um, what it would be like to take a small group of songwriters to walk the Camino together and write songs every day. Um, this is something I've done in many other settings on the Navajo Nation in Sardinia I'm going to be doing one in Cyprus uh, next year and, and lots of other places, but I've never done it while we're in movement, right? I've, we've always been fixed in place. Yeah. And so my question, you know, and the idea was, ooh, so what would it be like to bring mindfulness into a workshop that is about songwriting and then do those two things while walking on the Camino? And so that, and so uh, the workshop is called Songs of Santiago. It's a contemplative songwriting retreat in, in Northern Spain. And um, we, are, we are leaving in October and uh, we're starting in Astorga. And we end in Trabadelo with a final concert on the final night that is open to pilgrims and residents of Trabadelo and anyone else that would like to come. So your listeners uh, out there, if anyone is walking the Camino on... October 21st, and you want to come to a concert in Trabadelo, you are warmly welcome uh, to come. And there will be brand new songs, never before performed. So it will be all songs that were written over the course of about 11 days that we'll be walking. And they're all co-writes. They're all collaborative. So each day I pair a songwriter with someone else, with a new person, and then I give everyone a prompt. And then you have the entire day to write the song together. And... Um, it's a the, the premise of the workshop is community first and song second. So the idea is that you're sharing stories and building relationships with your co-writers one one by one each time you write with someone. So that by the end, most people have written with one another and we formed like a really deep authentic bond with one another through all of these new songs that, that we've written. So yeah, I'm incredibly excited about it. So we'll be walking in the morning. And then um, uh, sharing songs in a song circle each evening and, and sharing dinners and delicious wine and walking through wine country. Um, so, yeah, I'm very, very excited to, to be launching launching Songs of Santiago. Fantastic. In, in October. How exciting. How many people would you expect or are you hoping to be able to take? So um, it's capped at ten people, okay. And we and we are already full for this year. But um, I am very, very, you know, excited to hear from folks um, and and have already started uh, a list for the for the following year. Um, oh, so it's exciting. very intimate and very small. 
so that we can stay in those small uh, albergues that, yeah. that have, you know, only 10 beds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll, at the end of the podcast, I'll tell people where to find you um, because I think it's really important because I'm certain a lot of people are going to be interested in you and your future and, and the work that you do. We're running out of time. Uh, just before we go, uh, and it's been such a pleasure to talk to you, Christina. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Why don't you tell us a Camino story? Ooh, okay. Um, so, <laughs> so this Camino story is is actually kind of linked in a circular way to the workshop in De Sangs of Santiago. But uh, the morning that we left Trabadelo, we were walking with a new Camino friend that we'd been walking with for about two weeks. And um, as we left early, early in the morning, uh, walking towards Old Febrero, um, this friend... Uh, killed over and started screaming with incredible pain. And we, my partner and I thought that this person might be passing in front of our eyes. It was incredibly dramatic. And within a couple minutes, um, two nurses, French nurses that had stayed um, also at the albergue with us at Casa Susi um, came running and started administering first aid. And, um, you know, one of us called an ambulance and, um, they, they came from Ponferrada and someone else ran out to the road to flag them down. And within five minutes, this, this portion of path that had been almost completely deserted was filled with people that were trying to help and do absolutely everything possible to accommodate and assist this person that was in a really, really bad way. And um, so the lesson for me and sort of what ended up happening, so the, the ambulance arrives and um, I'm on the phone doing a lot of the translation uh, from English into Spanish and, and medical stuff. And, um, and so the ambulance arrives and finally, once our friend, so they, they, long story short, they were able to find the medicine that this person needed and were able to administer the most essential things right there on the Camino. And that was an incredible gift and a very amazing thing. And um, once things had calmed down a little bit, the guy in the ambulance you know, asked me why I spoke Spanish. And I explained, you know, my dad was born in Venezuela. It's something that I that I grew up speaking, but it had been a long time and I was really rusty. And I remember he looked directly at me and he said, you need to continue speaking Spanish and you need to return to Spain. <laughs> and I like, I think because of the vulnerability of the moment and the fact that we thought, you know, we'd almost lost our friend and it was incredibly scary and very, very dramatic. Um, it really stayed with me. And so, you know, me returning in the fall with the group of, of songwriters is kind of me fulfilling that promise uh, to him and also to myself. Like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this thing really seriously. And also returning to the exact spot where this incident happened. Wow. Wow. What a story. That's great. That's great. And now it's coming full circle. You'll be back there singing yeah. songs was was the was the pilgrim okay in the end he was oh fantastic yeah. oh wow yeah he was okay oh yeah. my gosh yeah. it's christina it's been such a delight to talk to you I, I want to say first and foremost congratulations on the work you're doing i'm sure you're bringing a great deal of joy to the different people and the different cultures that you're working with and Congratulations on celebrating and working with a culture like the Navajo that needs to be celebrated and enriched for future generations to appreciate. And I look forward very much to the day when you and I get to share a stage together. 
Christina. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been absolutely beautiful talking with you, and I will I will look forward to, to staying in touch. Buen camino. Buen camino. My guest this week was the American pilgrim, singer-songwriter, and ethnographer, Dr. Christina Jacobson from New Mexico in the United States. You can find Christina and her music at christinajacobsonmusic.com. You can also find an invitation or more information, if you like, about the Songs of the Camino on Songs of Santiago on Facebook or via Instagram at singmebackhome underscore songwriting. Plato said, music is the medicine of the soul. Well, I hope your soul has enjoyed this week's chat as much as I did. That's it for another week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. It's Quito's this and Quito's that. Sea buckthorn and elderflower blueberry soup. And cloudberries midsummer night. Maximize, lean into it when you realize a finished summer is short and sweet. That's why we're gonna squeeze every last drop of summer out of this place. We're gonna stay up till the crease of dawn, and then some gonna rise two hours later and soak up the sun. Cause who knows when we'll have a golden moment like this again. And we tell the turn. It's always this way, but Scandinavia's cold and...